I would actually, I would love to see more brands try the licensing or franchising approach to their kind of brand assets. Welcome to the Ad Tech Heroes podcast. Each episode features an interview with today's leaders in advertising technology. If you're working in ad tech and always wanted to sit down and pick the brains of today's experts, then this show is for you. Subscribe and join us each week as we meet a new ad tech hero. Hello and welcome to the Ad Tech Heroes podcast. This is the first episode of a new mini-series we have launched where we speak to a couple of industry experts about a topical subject. There wasn't much more topical in the last month or so than the release of the Barbie movie. Barbie is projected to pass Mario as the highest grossing movie of 2023. Other records it's achieved are biggest opening by a female director, highest opening for a non-sequel, and biggest opening for a toy-based film beating the record set by Toy Story 4. We had a chat with Mike Shaw from Roku and Rachel Lake from M6. The Barbie campaign integrated various experiences like the Barbie Dreamhouse on Airbnb. How can blending digital and physical experiences enhance a marketing campaign's impact? In an era where digital experiences often dominate, what does the success of these physical experiences tell us about the role of in-person engagement in marketing? Is there a future there? So in media and advertising in general, we're facing two really big challenges um, that, that are affecting our uh, effectiveness. So the first one is around fragmentation. So audiences are doing what they're going to do um, and they're doing it in various channels. Um, and the second one is around attention, people being bombarded by different messages. And so what Barbie has managed to do with its blend of lots of different digital and in real life activations is they've managed to find a way to do uh, multimedia planning without uh, resorting to just traditional approaches. And it's fantastic. Like, doesn't matter who you are, you will have been touched in some way by that campaign. And I think it's a, it's a brilliant case study in using your distinctive assets in different ways to, to engage different audiences. Yeah, Rachel, I totally agree. I think we were looking at some data from uh, Roku's uh, US audience uh, last month and there's uh, TV viewers seeing over 3,000 TV creatives a month there alone. So that means it's incredibly hard for that creative messaging to kind of cut through and yet anybody being anybody. And, and this is what I think has made and we've seen with the uh, bumper box office uh, numbers that Barbie's been able to do. The, um, uh, the success of this going across many different target groups, it hasn't just simply been a very specific demographic, but actually tapping into, I think one of the things we'll talk about later, the, the nostalgia and the range of different people who already know Barbie and have known Barbie forever from their own childhood. But to your point, the, the Byron Sharp would love the fact that, that Barbie has just owned pink for, for the last couple of months, wherever you looked. It, even if it wasn't for Barbie, you thought Barbie when you saw pink because of the amount of, uh, of work and that cross-media uh, activations that they've managed to achieve. Yeah, definitely. It does make it uh, very difficult for uh, other brands to to follow suit because they don't all have that strength of asset that uh, Barbie has in, you know, in the icon of Barbie. But it does raise the bar, I think, uh, in terms of if you have a, a uh, campaign idea, 
can you activate it in new and interesting ways to broaden that reach? The interesting part is how they've been able to keep it true to the uh, and relevant to the Barbie character and the Barbie story. So with all of these uh, various partnerships that I think we'll talk about as well, it it's still been very proximate to the Barbie brand. And um, there's, I mean, there's been so many other activations and Barbie product lines that have been able to come out, but they're all a natural fit with Barbie, her character, what she'd normally go and do. And I think that's been an incredible piece of commercial development from the team, from uh, uh, from everybody involved in in working out what those could be and not overextending, um, because it's it's very easy to to go too far. There's lots of brands out there who'd love to jump on this bandwagon. They've been very selective and done very well about uh, keeping to to Barbie's character and, and keeping that authenticity. I would actually, I would love to see more brands try the licensing or franchising approach to their kind of brand assets and seeing what could happen if they uh, saw the brand existing in other environments. So what would their Airbnb partnership look like? That would be, I think that would be uh, incredibly rich in terms of uh, creativity. I, I completely agree. I think there's so many opportunities if people look for them for that to work. So, so a good example, Roku last, uh, last year launched uh, a film, Weird Al Yankovic. Daniel Radcliffe starred in it. It, it did really well for, uh, for Roku as a, uh, as a content uh, organization. And one of the partnerships we did with, with Vans, uh, Vans Shoes, were a part of Weird Al Yankovic's dress code. That's, that's what he wore. And actually doing a a custom range of that really tapped into these people who loved the show. They loved Weird Al when he was a very big deal in the 80s uh, doing all of those parody shows. And once you can tap into that kind of nostalgia and those emotions and memories for people, it sets that brand apart so much versus their peer set and that consideration set that, that people could also have bought from. And I think those uh, those opportunities, they're not being used nearly enough. And there's lots of them there in different fields for different advertisers. Yeah, definitely. Coming back to my my uh, second big challenge, it, when you're battling uh, for attention against a sea of sameness, the more you can uh, come up with these new and interesting ways of engaging consumers, the more successful you should be. The Barbie movie saw various partnerships with various brands. What criteria do brands need to consider when selecting partnerships for cross-promotions? And how do you maintain the authenticity of the core brand while collaborating with multiple brands and partners? So one of the things that I think is has been surprising and interesting about the, the range of partnerships um, that Mattel have chosen for the Barbie movie is you've got the You've got the expected ones in there, definitely. You've got the fashion and beauty um, sort of known winners. And I'm sure that they are being incredibly successful in terms of, um, you know, selling hairbrushes and makeup and, and all of those things that, that, that people are going to be loving at the moment. But what was equally successful were the things that were much more surprising and kind of a little bit weird. And they managed to uh, challenge some of those uh, rules that we might set about authenticity just by um, thinking about things in a bit of a more of a fun way. So like pink food and, uh, and the Airbnb partnership, like I, the, the, 
it's not where your mind would admit originally would easily go for a space where you could bring to life the the Barbie world, and yet it works so well. So I think yes, you need to uh, look at those obvious places for brand partnerships. But actually, some magic can happen if you do something that's unexpected and uh, and surprising to your audience. Yeah, I I, uh, I think some we were uh, a very few looking at some of the uh, the partnerships that happened actually personally when uh, the kids started playing the Barbie Uno uh, card game, and it, it's tangential. Clearly, it's not a fashion. A thing to do but what it did allow uh, them to do which is a really clever insight is take up the minds of two uh, teenage girls who were just talking about Barbie all the time and for two hours on a train journey they were still just talking about Barbie immersed in Barbie and they absolutely loved it and that's a really uh, that's a good piece of uh, planning and insight to understand uh, the use case for this and the fact that the enthusiasm would be there that Barbie you don't see Barbie playing Uno etc in the film, it's not a standard part of a character, but it, it is an ability to leverage that excitement from a specific bit of the target audience, uh, and and sure enough, it worked. So I think that, um, to, your, to your point, that there's still got to be this natural kind of fit uh, for it. We couldn't have had an energy brand and Barbie together. It would have been quite hard for an energy brand to kind of tap into to that sort of thing. It's just not in any way part of the character, part of the story, um, it wouldn't have it wouldn't have worked. Um, but the the range of things they have been able to do, and I, I don't know about you, Rich, I don't think I've seen a, a film come out with that many partnerships or spur that uh, that many kind of related uh, accessories and, and products on the side. I think they've 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 set a new bar, um, and with the it'll be really interesting to see what the overall split of revenue looks like for the whole initiative between the box office, between subsequent streaming, and then all of the merchandising that's gone around. See, I would challenge that energy couldn't be uh, incorporated within the Barbie world. That the thing that would need to come with it, um, and and the thing that's true of all good partnerships, is there'd have to be like a fun or interesting or entertaining story with it, and uh, that in itself might need a little bit more working out for it for an energy drink. But I think that's what uh, the that's the challenge that or the gauntlet that the Barbie movie has has laid down that. Uh, Actually, it can be possible to uh, license freely. And uh, while there is, we're probably at peak Barbie right now, uh, it has taken a lot to get there. So our, our appetite for a uh, franchise is much more than uh, I think uh, has ever been explored with Bond, has ever been explored with Marvel. And so maybe we'll see more and more um, brands uh, treating their IP in this way in the future. Uh, absolutely. I think the... Uh, that part I definitely agree with. I still, I, see, I I would love to see, and maybe M6 can can break ground with managing to move us on from green energy to pink energy for for at least a summer. Whenever that the Squid Games piece, and again it was the uh, the Vans tie up came out, the 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 opportunity for this merchandising and licensing uh, piece was really uh, re-established. Barbie's taking it to a whole new level. I think to your point, if we're at peak Barbie now, how long does it keep going before that real fatigue uh, kicks in? And it'll be interesting. Uh, the Barbie run will will end soon at the cinema. Does pink drop out of our landscape uh, again, or or how long will it will it keep going on for? I think it's probably uh, very likely to uh, to disappear as quickly as it arrived. But that 
the memories and the creations in in people's heads has very much been established this summer. Yeah, I, I definitely think we're headed into a maybe a green season, uh, <laughs> or maybe we'll 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 go completely black. Yeah, I think we're probably uh, we're probably probably going to end up with a bit of pink fatigue as a result. But I but that but you know that is uh, in, it, in the essence of culture things bubbling up being uh, as sticky and as interesting as a topic of conversation for everyone and then falling away and being replaced by something new and it's really good to see that uh, that cinema is taking or film is taking up the uh, the space left from TV and the, the the sort of lack of water cooler moments that we that we now have because we're not watching TV in the same way Nostalgia is a powerful tool in marketing. What do you think about how the Barbie core movement tapped into nostalgia to create a buzz around the movie, especially when promoting a classic brand like Barbie? Uh, as, as Rachel said at the top, the, there's not very many brands that have the ubiquity of Barbie or the uh, the tenure. Barbie's Barbie's been around for decades, so we've got this we've got this amazing potential that existed in terms of this brand that everybody's familiar with everybody has their own version however kind of deep rooted memory uh of of kind of barbie and the nostalgia opportunity is therefore huge and there's there's a very recent there's a good paper recently um Kantar were looking at their database of 250,000 uh ads in the UK and they published commentary in June about how uh, ads with a nostalgic uh, element have a 13-point increase in likelihood of going viral, things people want to share with other people. Um, and not only does that have a sort of a very basic and, and healthy um, economics on your media um, when people are sharing all of that, um, what it points to is the, the power of nostalgia of moving beyond uh, again, Rachel talked at the start, this this um, bombardment of just normal ad messages at you. Nostalgia stops it just being about that 30 seconds that that message is in front of you on a screen and, and visual, and it's kind of something between your eyes and your brain. It suddenly then taps into something a lot deeper and an emotional state that you have. Now, some of that's, uh, some of that's bad, but with something like Barbie, almost all mem- childhood memories people have of Barbie are good memories. They're Fun that like Barbie was is such a uh, is such a big part of lots of people's childhoods, and so realizing that and actually being able to embed so much nostalgia in the communication, as well as some of the very cool innovative things like being able to take the old Barbie house that would have been in millions of households all up and down the country, and then turn that into something you can actually go and see in Malibu on Airbnb. That's absolutely amazing. And that's a, an incredible link between the nostalgic element in your house and something you can now physically go and do. And think that uh, being, the fact that they haven't tried to completely revamp Barbie, make her Barbie 2023 with no links to what she was before, they've really kept that uh, character exactly the same and that's allowed them to maximise that nostalgic impact. Yeah, I, I just build on um, one of the things you said uh, around childhood memories about Barbie being so positive. Um, I actually worked with Mattel um, many years ago. And one of the one of the challenges was children playing with Barbies are seeing it in such a, uh, a pure and honest way. 
but adults then looking at Barbie are where some of the more negative connotations come come in. And what they managed to do so perfectly with the film is tap into the childhood memory and not uh, bring in some of those negative associations. So, for example, the, the iconic scene with the bent feet. For kids, that's just, you know, that's just the way you can put the shoes onto the Barbie. It's the unique thing about the doll. But for adults, that's where um, you start to have those questions about, well, whether should women should be wearing um, high heels constantly, that kind of adult lens on it. And I think the things that they did to tap into that nostalgia rather than to bring in some of that criticism was by um, leaning into humour, leaning into the fun of it, but also doing in that with some self-awareness and honesty about how kind of faintly ridiculous things like the bent feet are. Um, and and um, it was a, a beautiful uh, combination of, of those things that has resulted in such a positive moment for the brand. I think for in the future, we will look at the way that they have used um, or tapped into nostalgia as a case study in how brands can turn around from being uh, in a negative place to being in a really, really positive one. It, it's interesting when the question comes up in, in media land of what are your favorite ads, what ads do you remember, that the ads that typically appear on people's list aren't the ones that were released in the last year, six months, which you would have thought there's a big recency effect. You should remember those more. They're the ones that come far earlier uh, in life. And so, uh, and, and the, but they've stuck with you and you remember the ad, you remember the brand for it. It's, it's so, uh, such a powerful thing. And one of the things we at Roku have is a, is a screensaver. Uh, which we term Roku City, is what happens when you haven't been watching any content for a period of time. The screensaver comes on. But the screensaver is actually a, a sort of a scrolling panorama of loads of different scenes from different films. So it's a city, but in the background in the river, you can see a ship sinking. And on one of the skyscrapers, you can see a huge King Kong in there. And there's just Easter eggs all over the place. And we see a ridiculous amount of viewership of people waiting for Roku City to come on so that they can go and pick out all of the Easter eggs in there. And they're all about nostalgic moments in this instance from film and television, but that go back a really long way. Like the King Kong thing is literally decades and decades old. People still know it, they see it, and, and we see this uh, this disproportionate amount of consumption of, of essentially a screensaver app, um, which is amazing, but does talk exactly to this power of nostalgia. I would really love for the power of nostalgia to be brought into this debate about the sacrificing the long term at the expense of the short term or the short term and at the expense of the long term. Because really what you what you could be creating as a brand is that lasting memory that is going to have that effect in 10, 20 years time where you are beloved because of what you did right now. And I don't know that many marketers are thinking about things in such a such a way that, you know, the brand guardianship that you're doing at the moment is actually the fuel for future nostalgia. Because when, because the Barbie movie has shown that it can be so incredibly powerful and beneficial from a bottom line perspective. Totally. Well, and and I think this is going to go not, not just for brands, but also content creators and, and distributors. It, it's interesting. Uh, I saw that Amazon... Amazon are bringing neighbours back um, to the UK screen. So something that had ceased and there'd been a big thing about the end and there was a huge nostalgic outpouring 
uh, around that sufficient for Amazon to to relaunch it. So it'll be on freebie, and and I think therefore this uh, this opportunity uh, to tap into the the power of nostalgia with consumers uh, lives across not just the brands um, but their their agencies and their strategists, the platforms who distribute uh, that material as well. What do you think will be nostalgic in the next ten years that we currently have right now? Hopefully, uh, in the world of technology change, I'm going to pick a technology and a way of using it and hope that in 10, 15 years' time, it's changed. Uh, I think that, uh, that people will will look at the way that social media worked, Instagram, uh, TikTok, Snap, the, and the change that we've seen just in the last five years of the way a big chunk of the population communicate, share, uh, etc. And I think that will be nostalgic whether it's because it well i don't know what will supplant it whether it's a uh a vr experiences whether it's far more in real life who knows but but i think they'll uh, we're in such a uh an interesting time at the moment in in terms of just the way that uh certainly the the younger demographic but younger demographic i literally mean 40 and below uh share which is a huge part of the co- uh, population i i think that will be a behavior that we look fondly back on in in over a decade's time. Yeah, I I, I agree with you uh, on that one, especially as um, we're already starting to see a bit of nostalgia for the old YouTube and the old YouTube influencer, um, people who had grown up with that kind of relationship and, and, you know, it's kind of died down a little bit, replaced by, by the TikTok influencer. Um, but I'm already seeing like lots of people remembering uh, when they used to sit up and watch those uh, those those videos in the past. Um, I would like to think that we will be nostalgic for some of those big Christmas ads. Uh, I think we already have an element of it. I think that that's something that we're going to end up looking back on and and thinking about when Christmas was so magical because we we had the John Lewis ad uh, to look forward to and maybe bemoaning that they weren't as, that they're not as good now as they used to be. I think that I think um, there will be a bit of an ad nostalgia about that. Yeah, uh, that's a really good point. That's really good. But actually, when you when you think about that, I wonder if in in ten years' time we'll be There'll be a new film, uh, Ryan Reynolds starring opposite uh, somebody in a uh, a film entitled "You've Got WhatsApp," and it'll just be an entirely it'll be a view <laughs> of kind of this WhatsApp conversation. People remember, oh, remember when we only used to talk on WhatsApp? So, uh, actually, I might I might write the screenplay for that this afternoon. I, I, yeah, got to go. You heard it here first. Yeah. Thank you for listening, and we hope you enjoyed this episode of Ad Tech Heroes. If you enjoyed the show, please leave us a five-star review. To see all the show notes and resources mentioned in this episode, head over to adtechheroespodcast.com. This episode is brought to you by SeedTag, the world's leading contextual advertising company. Contextual intelligence allows you to engage with consumers within their universe of interest on a cookie-free basis. By delivering ads into content, we capture users' attention faster and retain it longer. Learn more and reach out to us at seedtag.com.